Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. There's Lindegaard making Forrest backpedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris. He's found him via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil. Oh, and it's an opening goal. What a start. Madden, after just six minutes, gives Yeovil the lead. Stansfield, good turn away from Trott. Goal. Hello and welcome to the Glover's Past on the Glover's Cast. Today, Ben and I are really excited to welcome a former player from a period of time which we're yet to get stuck into on the podcast. This man was on the pitch for our most famous playoff nights. He scored the fourth at the city ground as we punched our ticket to Wembley in 2007. He is, of course, Lee Morris. Welcome to the Glover's Cast and thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here, fellas. Looking forward to it. We're very happy to have you on. Like I said, we haven't been able to get anyone. Your your sort of era of player is quite elusive for us uh, at the Glovers <laughs> cast. Um, and uh, the fact that we've managed to grab you and you're across the pond in America as well uh, is, yeah, very pleased to get you on. So, uh, yeah, we'll ask you a few questions about that time. But um, let's start with the start at Yeovil. Uh, the season before you arrived, you had a frustrating year with injuries at Leicester did that make you more determined to succeed when you came down to us um well I mean I was I was struggling a little bit with uh with everything at that time it was it was really hard I wasn't sure if I was ever going to really get back to playing again I'd had that many injuries and two and a half years it had been going on at Leicester really um so Russell Slade was my old youth team coach at Sheffield United and kind of when he reached out and 
and said that he was uh, he wanted me to come and get involved. You know, I, I jumped at it because I knew he'd look after me and do his best to just try and get me fit. And really, I, I wasn't expecting the season to quite go the way that it did in the end. Uh, I was just hoping to to come and get fit and actually play a couple of games again. Really, it's interesting you say that actually because we we kind of got a little bit surprised by that season and, and where it where it sort of led for us. What did you think when you arrived? on those first few days of pre-season with the squad around you. What was the what was the aim? What was the ambition for that year for the group and for you personally? Well, I mean, total honesty, I didn't know an awful lot about Les uh, Yeovil on the way down. You know, I hadn't um they weren't high. I'm a northerner and they weren't high on my list of things to Google in general. So <laughs> I had no idea really what what I was coming to. Um and so you know, the, the early preseason predictions had us finishing bottom, uh, you know, we were favourites for relegation and all of that. So uh, I didn't know anything about the lads and um, it, it didn't take me long to work out that Skivo was a, was the leader of men and, you know, Chrissy <laughs> Cohen was going to be a hell of a player and uh, Paul Terry was a character, Jonesy. We, we had the makings of just a brilliant bunch of lads. And whenever you, you get a crew like that together, it always, in my experience, it's felt like you always overachieve because they just, uh, you enjoy it so much, you kind of ride along that wave. So I had, a, I had a good feeling pretty early on that there was more quality than probably what I'd expected. And the personality of the group was so much fun that, that it was going to be a good time. You started off on the bench in the first few games, but broke into the starting eleven. And it wasn't long after some more quality arrived in Marcus Stewart on, on loan from Bristol City. What did he add to that group? And what was he like to play alongside? There's another brilliant character with Stewie first and foremost. He was a, a proper, proper good lad, good person first and foremost. Um, but again, you know, he came in and it, it was really exciting for us because... You know, he's just his pedigree, his history of scoring goals. At the time, we, we were a little bit up and down and we, I felt like, you know, we probably did need that firepower. Another forward coming in from the start was, you know, you're always looking over your shoulder a little bit. But for me personally, the, the more good players we had on that uh, squad, the better we were going to be. So that was a, a big and probably a, a massive shock signing, really, with a, a player of his, you know, stature coming to Yeovil. That was just exciting definitely felt like a coup when it happened and it kind of all led towards a, a really good run pre-Christmas December for you personally you got four goals in in not a lot of time in just short of a month I think four and seven I think it was the team was winning games and then we added Leon Best in on, on loan as well to add that extra little bit of quality up front was it around that time just before Christmas started the new year where you kind of felt like hang on something's really starting to click here now we can make something happen yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh, I, I remember Russ doing a team talk. Uh, we'd had a bad result. I can't remember who it was against earlier on in the year, but then he'd kind of gone through the results before that. And that was the first time I kind of looked at it and thought, well, yeah, we, the teams that were expected to be up and about it, we'd got good results against. And so we all started thinking, we, we were never really truly cemented in the playoffs at that point. But he, I think he was starting to believe and sort of saying, listen, we, we could get something going here if we go on a bit of a run. But you lot have to believe as much as as much as much Russ was saying he believed. I don't know if he truly did at that time. But, you know, Leon Best and, and Stewie coming in, you know, that was a that was a good front line, to be fair. We had we, we 
I always felt like we had goals in us all year and um, Wayne Gray never missed a penalty and he was a, a, a tank to play up front with as well. So I always thought we had goals in us. We, we finished that season strongly with back-to-back wins and obviously we, we drew Nottingham Forest in the, the playoffs. What did you feel when you knew we were going up against Nottingham Forest, obviously as a ex-Leicester player? That's quite a big one. Yeah, for me, for me personally, it was all it was exciting. Um, just because you know uh, Leicester and Derby, they're the two big rivals of Forest, um, so it was an exciting one for me. <clears throat> but I remember, I think we got beat at home earlier on in the season, um, and I think Scotty Guyett might have been sent off before half time. And I can remember that day thinking that we were the better team. Um, I think we might have got beaten, well beaten up at, at Forest. Um, but anyway, yeah, I remember thinking that this is one where they would have been absolute outright favourites. We were a true underdog. And so for us, there was absolutely no downside to this game. It was just go out there, enjoy an event and just see what we can get out of, really. It was... a uh, it was an exciting one for me personally. It wasn't anything to be overawed by. Um, but I think we'd enjoyed being the underdogs most of the season, really. So it wasn't any different. Being the underdog was kind of our thing anyway, kind of, and, and even beyond 2007 for a lot longer. We were always the, the smaller side. That first leg was, was a really strange game because we lost 2-0, played them off the park, created the better chances, and they've picked up two, what's the polite word? controversial penalty decisions. The one against Nathan Jones in particular wasn't particularly convincing for me. Um, what was the feeling like coming off that pitch? Because you're 2-0 down, knowing you've got to go to the city ground, but you've just played Nottingham Forest off the park. How how did that changing room feel after that first leg? Well, I think before the game, the referee who'd been appointed might... Uh, you could do a little bit of homework on this, but I think he'd given like three penalties against us and sent three lads off over the course of the season. Something ridiculous like that. I remember us having a problem with the ref before and then then all that happened on the night. But I do remember feeling like we'd really battered him. The goalie got man of the match. I think it was Smith, wasn't it? The, the Forest goalie. Yeah. I remember um, just feeling like there was no way this tie was over. It was disheartening that we'd, we'd lost 2-0, but I, I still felt like, we all felt like there was uh, all to play for in the second leg. Um, but we'd have to start strong up there, really. Um, but the overriding feeling was, God, we played well tonight, didn't we? You know, a big occasion. We weren't overawed. And we did all right on Sky. It was a, it was a good performance. <laughs> there, 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 were, yeah, there, was, there were plenty of rumours of, Nottingham Forest putting their Wembley plans in place and getting their suits made and advertising travel packages before the second leg had even been played. Did did that get into the dressing room and how did that motivate you? Yeah, it was the cornerstone of Slady's speech that was. They're already planning it down there. The buses are all booked. Did you not see the signs out there? And Wembley tie pins, all of that stuff. So I, I never saw anything, but I, I believe I believed all the rumours and I got all into that hype for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was all pumped up for that one, I tell you. <laughs> I don't 
I, to be honest with you, I, I don't think you were the only one, actually. It was weird. I was one of the lucky 1,097 in the away end that night. And I remember arriving. We drove up with my mate. We parked up and we went for a beer. And every Nottingham Forest fan, all, all to a man, all said the same sorts of things of, what are you not doing here? How come you guys have made the trip? What's this all about? And every time we just kind of laugh it off, joke it off. Ah, oh, it's not over yet. Ah, oh, it's not over yet. They genuinely thought they were there. We had the, when we got back to the car after the game, there was a flyer underneath the uh, windscreen wiper advertising, book your Wembley travel deal package now. And I, I, I wish, I wish more than anything else, I had kept that more than anything, more than the program, more than the ticket. I wish I'd have kept that just to keep it there that, they thought they were there and it was it was absolutely wonderful. Let's let's get stuck into that game then, because it was it still is looked back as one of, if not the most memorable nights. For me, it'll I'll never ever forget about it. I'll go back and watch the highlights every other day more often than not. You said it there. We needed the early goal. Aaron Davis got the early goal. Uh, I watched the highlights back not long before this chat, actually, and you made a fantastic run across goal to open up yeah, a whacking yeah. great space. Yeah, didn't get the ball. I was all pissed off at the time. <laughs> <laughs> How much of a massive boost did that give you? 20-odd minutes on the clock and suddenly we're back in the game. How, how good a lift did that give you? Well, that was... I remember that the whole team talk, really, and the whole thought process was if they get the first goal, the whole stadium goes up with 3-0 down and you kind of... You're probably buried. So... It was all about at 2-0 down. It didn't matter how long it took. It could be 89 minutes. If we scored the first goal, we had a right good shot at it. So the first 20 minutes, were, uh, it was, as I recall, it was pretty cagey. Nothing much happened. And then the goal came a bit out of, out of the blue on a long shot where their, their keeper had been like Gordon Banks in the first leg. And then, you know, he squeaked that one in. Um, and then, yeah, it was... From that moment on, it was absolute game on. You know, we were, the, I, I just, there wasn't a time when I didn't believe that we were going to win it. I just felt like the whole way through the first and the second leg, we were the better team. But then Davo scoring that goal was uh, gave us that belief, you know. And was the plan to frustrate them? Did you want to get them frustrated and drag the, you know, get it really close to sort of the end of the game and and nick it? Not really. I think the one thing about Russ, because he, he'd been my youth team manager and I'd kind of, I'd known him a long time. He wasn't really a guy that was a, a tactical kind of fella. I, the feeling I always had from Russ was he just wanted us to go out there, work as hard as we can, and he wanted us to play good stuff. So I, I don't think there was any kind of frustration plan to wind them up or anything like that. I think it was just, we're going to go out there and be the better team on the night. And to a certain degree, that was probably a bit of the downfall why it was such an open game because we didn't get the goal and then park the bus for the next 10 minutes and try and calm the game down. We just carried on playing how we wanted to play and try and outscore them. So um, that was probably why it was such a good night in the end because we didn't have any sort of tactic behind it. You, you, you mentioned it there. That was my exact next question. It was a game that ebbed and flowed it was up it was down Forest equalized just after yeah. half time Chrissy Cohen has to go off injured was there at any point where the belief just kind of sapped away as the minutes ticked over or were you always feeling like you were in the game 
Um, I think there wasn't really a time when it sapped away, but there was, you know, getting towards the end, you know, and still needing them couple of goals. It, it was, it was starting to get, I think um, Stewie scored the header. Was it about the 82nd minute, 83rd minute, something like that? No, I think that was when Alan Wright put Alan Wright own goal was 82, 83. I think Stewie was closer to 88. I think it was so close, so close. So it was just when we were getting on into the late 70s was really when it was you starting to think, right, something good's got to happen here. We, we've got to come out with something. But it was there was not anything to lose at any point. So, again, the, all of the pressure was always going to be on them. And, you know, they were they were the big team, the massive club at home. For us, we just had nothing to lose. So we just had to keep going and going. And that I think that was us as a group of lads, really, where we weren't going to give up. We were going to keep fighting. <laughs> After Alan Wright's own goal, uh, you got booked for an altercation um, with the, <laughs> the goalkeeper. You were, you, that wasn't fighting, was it? You were just asking for the ball back. He'd have killed me, I reckon. Be <laughs> <laughs> honest, he was six foot four and I'm five nine. But uh, yeah, I think we were just. Uh, I was trying to get the ball as fast as we could to get it back in play. But yeah, I would. I would have lost that fight. I think <laughs> it was just a polite inquiry. That's all it was. No need for Graham Paul to say anything, was there? Um, as 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 time wore on. <clears throat> There was no Terry Skiverton on the pitch, something that's been of great conjecture about that whole playoff campaign, the fact that he didn't kick a ball throughout it. Who were the leaders on the pitch? Who kept things going? Who kept things ticking? Who kept the talking going as the time ticked down? Well, I mean, we had some, we had big personalities all over the field, really. I mean, Mildy, Mildy was a big character in goal. Forbesy was a, was a brilliant lad you'd do anything for. Jonesy on one side and Lindy, the, you know, the local lad who was Mr. Yeovil on the other. <laughs> All over the field, you, Chris um, in the middle of the park and, and Devo came alive in them games, uh, Aaron Davis. So I think all over the pitch, really, you looked around and you, you looked at everybody and thought, yeah, I believe he can make something happen here. I, I believe he's going to be strong and, and he's going to keep going. Um, so I, I think the majority of us really were even though Skivo was our guy, he was the leader of men amongst the group. We had we had enough personality out there that I certainly believed all the way through that somebody could come up with something, you know. And uh, someone did come up with someone something. Someone did, yeah. <laughs> Marcus Stewart scores that header. Um, we look at it now, and it's such a pivotal point in our recent history. Um, from that point on, there was only one winner in that game, wasn't there? Well. We thought so, didn't we? Um, when I scored man, I thought that was it. I was going to be the big hero of the night and I was all excited. And then they scored like three minutes later. It's like a block. So I think when they scored, it, it definitely wasn't over again at that point. Um, but who who got sent off? Um, Protten, two yeah. yellows. That was like a stupid one. I remember that thinking, yeah, you're an idiot for doing that and that that's going to hurt you, lads. You know, it was just a no-need lunging. And um, all, all of extra time, again, it, it was real tight. It was real exciting. I, I remember, I, I I don't think I'd played many 90 minutes over the course of the season. And I remember, like, going up to Russell at um, 
at the extra time period and saying to him, there's no way you're taking me off this field tonight. I can, I can last 30 minutes. Do not take me off the field. And he was like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm not going to take you off. I'm not, not going to take you off. And then I got cramped with about four minutes to go. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of made it through. Uh, but yeah, we, we, I, I kind of think after Proton got sent off, it was going to be us. Let's talk about the moment then. Let's talk about your goal. First of all, how many opportunities have you had to say thanks to Wes Morgan for his lovely assist? <laughs> I haven't seen him ever since. <laughs> he's he's gone on to do all right for himself. He's fine. His career went that way and man was kind of going that way at the time. So we, we never crossed paths again, I'm afraid. But yeah, that was probably one of his worst moments, I think. Yeah, Better- yeah. Sorry, mate. I, I, I was going to ask, you had so much time from when you pick the ball up to when you round the keeper and put it in. Did that go in slow motion? What was going through your mind, given the context of the game, the context of the moment, what that goal could, maybe should have gone on to mean? How do you keep your cool in those moments? I couldn't have done it. <laughs> well, I didn't. The angle that I was coming into, it wasn't down the middle. So there wasn't going to really be a way that I could slot it. I was sort of coming in on my left foot. So I made my mind up pretty early that I need to go around him. Um, and so I'd, I'd kind of taken a little bit of a touch to try and draw him towards me so I could take a big touch around him. And then I, as I did, I've kind of took my time and put the ball into the net. And it's only when I watched the replays that I kind of realised if, I'd, if I hadn't have fired the ball in, whoever it was was sliding on the line would have probably cleared it. So I had no idea he was there. I got a little bit lucky with um, with actually putting it in the, the way that it, it went. But at the time, I, I was pretty calm. I, I knew I made my mind up pretty much straight away how I was going to do it. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I probably wouldn't be that calm nowadays watching someone else do it, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was like slow motion, wasn't it, watching it? Um... From then on, that they got one back, and then Aaron Davis wrapped it up, and you know, cue massive celebrations. Um, what do you think of when you look back and see those post-match scenes? That was for me that that was right up there with as good a moment of my whole career that night. That's when I when I think back of all of the you know everywhere that I played and stuff like that. That was just for everything. I had a load of mates because I'd been in Derby. I had a load of mates who were Derby fans who texted me on the day and said, you know, make sure you're not Forest out. I had a load of Forest fans who were mates who were texting me saying, you know, I hope your bus crashes on the way up and all of that. <laughs> so it, there was a load more around it um, than just a big game for us at Yeovil for me. Um, but the actual night itself and the roller coaster that it was, you know, I look back on that as one of my fondest, fondest memories. And it pops up every year, doesn't it, on Twitter. And I watch the video again and get a lump in my throat about how good it was. And, um, it's just a shame how it went at Wembley, really. Well, we kind of got to go on to it because, unfortunately, we did go on to Wembley. And it didn't quite work out. There was nine, ten days in between that incredible semi and then the final how much did it take out of the squad that final? There was a few battered and bruised bodies. Was it difficult to not get going for Wembley because it's a Wembley final? But did it feel like we'd already played our final in some respects? I think it's hard to say, really, because, you know, I, 
it, I kept trying to say to the lads, it's you know, it's Yeovil against Blackpool. When you when you think about it like that, it's not Man U against Real Madrid or anything like that. Let's try and think of it as just another game, but it just never went right from the off. You know, we always used to play the ball back and then hit the corner and everybody would push up the pitch and pressure the opposition from the start. And then that night we went back to Jonesy. He got caught on the ball and it just that kind of set the tone for how it was going to be the whole game. We just, we never got going and, and never really created anything. It, it was just a, a whole day of frustration, really. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't actually remember an awful lot about it now. It, it's, you know, the, the Forest game is what I like to, like to recall more than Wembley, I'm afraid. You and us I, both. You and yeah. us both. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I think my... <laughs> My sort of recollection of that game was the noise that came from the Blackpool supporters. And I don't know if that made its way down to the pitch or you felt that when you're on the pitch, but they made a hell of a lot of a noise that day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they just had more to shout about though, didn't they? I think they, they played well and got themselves ahead. And it, it you know, some days you kind of have a feeling after 20, 30 minutes, you're looking around and the two Forest games, everybody was on it and you knew we were a million miles an hour and all over it. It was like everybody was in quicksand, you know, and um, it wasn't as though we'd done anything differently. We hadn't worked harder. We didn't have a bigger tactical plan or anything like that for it. It was, we believed we were going to win. You know, if you'd have asked me in the lead up, I was, I was sure we'd win. Um, but on the day, it was it was just a step too far, I guess. It's heartbreaking. I think of that moment where Marcus Stewart has a the cross and he goes for a diving header, and why he doesn't just kick it? it? It feels like it's he drops down to do this diving header when he could have just volleyed it in. It felt like, and what you're saying sort of indicates, you know, the, those moments. You know, ten days earlier, he probably would have smashed it in the top corner, but at that, yeah. yeah. It was what it was. I, I feel real lucky and fortunate that I was involved in the Forest game. I, I feel lucky that I got to to play at Wembley that first year and, and everything surrounding it, you know. But um, there was certainly more highs than lows over the course of that season. Uh, but it, it's just, you know, makes you sick thinking about how it all ended from from where it was, you know. It's a, it's a tough one, that one, really. It is a tough one. And it didn't really get any easier really either that following summer Cohen and Davis ironically left for Forest albeit for a fairly chunky sum when pre-season rolled back around was there a different feeling around the club was it tough to come off the back of a playoff defeat in that manner and kind of get going again um I don't I don't know it for me, coming into that that preseason, it was right. Well, we shocked the world a little bit last year, where we were favourites to go down. Now it feels like we've got a little bit more expectation around us. And um, Russ brought in um, Lloyd Awusu, I think it was that I, you know I thought he was a good signing for us, was going to get goals. And I, I don't know, it felt like we'd almost got higher expectations for ourselves because of the year we'd had last year. So I was. I was really optimistic because I'd played a lot more games than I'd expected to the year before. I really wanted to stay. And so I was, I was made up that, that they wanted me to come back for another year. And I loved being, Yeovil was kind of like 
where I grew up, you know, it was a smaller town. I didn't want to live in a big city or anything like that. So I, I loved it there. And so I was really excited to get going for the new season. Um, so it was a bit of a kick in the nuts the way my season went. But I think that was just just the times, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sadly, you, you did. I think you played two games before you injured your cruciate against Hereford in the Cup. Um, at the time, it was reported that you were considering retirement, I think, and it was a bad one. But somehow, did you finish the game? Well, I, yeah, it's, I think, looking back, I think we were either three or four nil down at half time. I'd, um, I'd kind of sat there quietly in the corner while Russ had screamed the paint off the walls about how, you know, everything... <laughs> He had gone, the Gatorade had gone, he's kicking balls. It was an old school team talk at halftime. He used all three of his subs at that, at that halftime and like literally two minutes into the second half, I did that. And um, it was like, it was agony for like 10 seconds. But I said to Jim, there's there's no way I can, I can tell Russ I can't play on here, he'll kill me. So, um, so I, I, I kind of, played on but we were we were well beat and I kind of limped around a little bit and the next morning he had us all in you know we had a proper dressing down the next morning we trained properly and I said to the physio after after practice that I'd um my knee had swollen up and I was a bit worried about it so yeah I, it was uh I, I didn't think it was as serious as as what it was um but over the course of the next few weeks we kept going to see doctors and they they give us the all clear and then I try and train and it swell up again so we actually had an exploratory operation and that's when I when I woke up I found out that it was did fully repaired it and I was out for the season um so after for me after all that had gone on over the two and a half years previously at Leicester then I'd had this one brilliant season at Yeovil that was like the best season of my career I kind of thought well maybe that was a high to go out on um but then as I kind of got closer to the time where I might be able to play again Nigel Clough reached out to me I lived in Derby Burton was 10 minutes away and I'd heard nothing but good things about him so I thought I'd give it one more go uh and then fortunately I did because Burton was a Burton was a good time as well mm, I was gonna ask you about Burton actually because you ended up winning the National League, as it is now, with your time at Burton. But I just wanted to touch on how, on how that season sort of ended. You was it tough to watch from afar whilst you overall playing? Because we ended up finishing closer, much closer to the bottom than we did to the top, and you obviously yeah. weren't able to be involved. Was that frustrating seeing the troubles? Russell Slade obviously was um, struggling at the time to get the team going. We, we weren't scoring many goals. How tough was it to watch from afar, knowing you weren't able to do much about it? Yeah. It was hard. It, it, it was hard for me feeling like I was part of the overall problem, you know, because I, I had, they had given me a contract and, you know, they were expecting me to be part of the crew to create and score goals. And, you know, then I'd, I'd got injured and I knew that that had hurt Russ's budget and having an injured player on money that couldn't play and stuff like that. It, it was hard and you feel personally responsible as being part of the problem so that was that was one of the reasons why I was thinking of retiring because I'd been part of the problem at Leicester and then I was part of the problem again 
at Yeovil and I'd loved my time at Yeovil and didn't want to be one of them that, that was hurting the club in that manner. So it, it wasn't it wasn't easy to it wasn't easy to watch. Um and I, I loved, you know, I've said already, I loved Russell to bits. I wanted nothing but the best for him. So it was tough. That that was a tough year, to be honest with you. Is that part of the reason why your contract was terminated a tad early? I think it was March rather than at the end of the season, just so you could free that up for us and, and kind of... It was, yeah, I mean, it, when it was clear that there was no way I was going to be able to play, it, it, I hadn't got it diagnosed as quick as I probably could have, but it was the same one that I'd done before. So when they did the scans, what they do, they scan it on the front end to see if it's um, torn or not of which the you know I had torn it the first time they repair it but then they don't scan it again so you don't actually know what it looks like afterwards so when I had the scan at Yeovil they were saying well we can see it's there um and we don't know what it looks like after the operation so it doesn't look quite right but your knee feels good so that's why it kept being put back because they were they thought that I was okay and then by the time it was diagnosed it was uh, it was too late, really. Um, so I, I wish, I wish it could have been done sooner, so that you know I could have kind of left sooner and helped them out sooner, really. Um, but that's that's life, I'm afraid. We've we've touched on Burton. You also spent a bit of time at Hereford and Kidderminster. Uh, at this stage, were you planning for life in football uh, with coaching, or what, what were you thinking at that time? Yeah, I'd, uh, I think my time at Burton was brilliant. I, that was, you know, we got promotion. The, the bunch of lads were very, very similar. I could call, tell you the names of the lads who were, were our skivo and all of them. So I walked into that dressing room and Nigel was really similar to Russ. He was old school. And that was another, just a brilliant year for me. And coming off the back of what had happened, it was, it was you know, it's such a, a good thing for me because I'd never won anything. Wembley was as far as I'd gone. I'd normally been playing at Derby and Leicester that were bottom of the league, really. So that was a fantastic year. Um, but then when they got promoted, Nigel had left to Derby. Pesky Salido came in and said, Lee Morris has been injured too much. We'd rather spend money on somebody else, which was probably fair. So I wound up at Hereford, which I, I didn't, enjoy particularly and didn't get on with the manager and so by the time I got to Kidderminster it was you know I was doing my coaching badges and looking towards the next phase and I'd lost my pace I was I was truly on my way down at that point so by the time I got into coaching it was it was the right time and finishing earlier than I'd probably wanted to but I was a I was a journeyman and, and not really doing my reputation justice by playing the way that I was, I'm afraid. And so you thought about getting across to the United States would be the way to get around that. For those listening in, Lee is currently repping his South Carolina United Bantams gear, ready for another training session. How on earth does a move to South Carolina come about for you? Well, I wanted to coach in the sunshine, if I'm totally honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get much of that in the Oval, to be fair. I was, uh, I was coaching at Derby in my shorts and T-shirt. It was May. At the start of practice, I was wearing shorts and T-shirt. By the end, I had a hat, scarf and big jacket on because the snow was <laughs> So uh, I thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. Um, 
So there's uh, our chief executive is a lad I was an apprentice with at Chef United. Um, we grew up together in East Yorkshire and we're, we're long, you know, old school pals and stuff. So when I came over here, it was a, it was a bit luck at the place that I was that I bumped into him. But then as soon as I came here, it's, um, you know, it's brilliant people. It's sunshine. And uh, I get to I get to coach and, and carry on, which is really, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to get to do what what I do, really. I love it over here. What's the aim? I mean, you did you have a successful season last year and are you looking to, you know, move up in the MLS or a return back over here? Or is the weather too good over there to come back? No, so I, I was coaching in the academy at Derby and, um, I, I, you know, you kind of have your network of pals that are all over the place and Sean Derry was a good good pal of mine and in the time um, I've been over here, I think Sean's been sacked three times over there and now he's assistant manager at Crystal Palace. But I kind of, I, I realised quickly, I, I enjoy coaching like younger players and getting to see them get better. And, I, you know, I find that real reward in um, seeing progress, which in older teams, you, you're all about tactics and little bits and trying to win the game. The goal of our players really are to try and get them into college or uh, professional um, soccer over here, it would be. Um, so I, I'm, I'm the director over here of kind of like developing players and putting in curriculums and coaching the ones who've got aspirations to go on to better things. So we're, I'm lucky to see that some of our guys have gone professional. A lot of them get to play at high level college, which is, which is a big deal for them over here. So every year I get to see people achieving their dreams and it's, for me, that's really rewarding. I've got a good job. I, I like it here. So I've got no aspirations to go back into professional game and, and get sacked and then get sacked somewhere else and all of that, really. We're in a good spot. Do you, do you think there's something to learn in the English game from how, you know, the American system operates? Or, or is it just chalk and cheese? Is it just very different? It is so different. The, the, the way that the system works over here, if you play basketball, American football or baseball, the, the big ones, you, you play till you're 18 and then you go and play in college. And after college, you get your education for three or four years and then you go into the professional game. Now, college sports here, if you go and watch with the big ones around us, Clemson, there's 100,000 people going to watch these college games. They've got the stadiums. They're all bigger than Old Trafford for, for kids that are not paid. But then the best ones from there end up being the quarterbacks in the NFL and all of that. So the soccer thing is the same where they go and play in college and then they go into the draft at 22, 23. Nobody over there is going to be 23 years old and making their professional debut. If you're 21 and you haven't made it, you're probably not going to. So it's so different here to what it is over there that from for me, the, the big part is the 99% the of players over there that don't make it end up not having a, a college education going out. And what do you do at, at 20 when you haven't got any education and everybody else does? Here, you do. And that's, that's a major part of what's good about the American setup. But it leaves them behind on the professional side because they're all 
too old by the time they get into it. So it's uh, it's 50-50 really. There's, there's pros and cons to it. It's fascinating what it is. It's it's like a different world that we just we would never experience. As we um as we begin to wind this down, I'd like to just get you to, to look back at that 06-07 season once again. You've touched on it a couple of times, but for someone who's played at really high levels and gone for if we believe Wikipedia, millions of pounds at different stages in your career and stuff. Where does that, where does that season rank for the whole season long for the group, the results, how it ended and how it, the, the ride it, which it took you on and the team on, where does that season rank? Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing about it really for me is that um, at Derby, it always just went okay. You know, I, w- I went there and then we wound up getting relegated out of the Premier League and we were kind of like a mid-table, bottom third kind of thing. And then Leicester, I was always injured and never really got going. And so for me, that that Yeovil season just came totally out of the blue where I didn't, I expected us to just be in a battle. And so the fact that we were all the way to the end fighting for them playoff spots was so exciting. And then the manner in which we got to Wembley was unbelievably exciting. So for me, the, that season, I had a brilliant time at Burton and then Kidderminster where we were fighting for the playoffs and all of that at the end. They were brilliant, brilliant years. They definitely weren't the most high profile seasons I was involved in, but for, for the overall times that I had, you know, it was so much fun. It's right up there for me as one of the, one of the most fun seasons I had and, the, the Forest game is, I, I don't think of many games at all that were as exciting and fun to be a part of as them two two legs, the home and away one, really. It's amazing. It, 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 transcend, it transcends other teams. Occasionally, when people find out I'm a Yeovil fan, they ask me a couple of questions. Didn't you want to have John Terry's brother? Yeah, Paul, we had Paul, yeah. And didn't you beat Forest that time in the, in the uh, playoffs? Yeah, that was us. That was amazing. It, it sort of goes beyond just being, being us, really. So to hear someone who was very much in the thick of it scoring such an important goal and playing in such an amazing side to talk of it like you do considering the career you've had which shouldn't be underestimated that it means an awful lot and I think it will mean an awful lot to those listening as as Yeovil fans as well so we really appreciate those those little memories no thank you it was a it was a good time when when I saw the email I was definitely gonna um come on because this was a, a fun one to kind of relive and think about. And, you know, I'll never forget that one. It was a, a hell of a time, you know. How often do you watch the highlights? Tell the truth. Safe space. Every time it comes onto Twitter, I'll sit and watch. And sometimes I'll get a little lump in my throat. I always celebrate when I score and then Davo scores the winner. It's... <laughs> There's a really um, interesting moment right at the end. There's, everyone's in front of the Yeovil fans. And the camera's panning along. Nathan Jones has got his shirt off, giving it the big one. And then it, there's you, and you stare right down the barrel of the camera. And you're holding what I think is some sort of knee brace or back brace or back. some sort of, is it a back yeah. brace? Yeah. And you give this just behemoth scream down the camera. It's almost quite scary, but I never, <laughs> I, I have to make sure I go to those moments. Nathan Jones, <laughs> arms wide, giving it the big one, and you screaming down the barrel of the camera. Those are those moments you don't ever want to miss because they're magic. Uh, it, it was. that I, I can remember that one looking in because uh, 
my mum and dad and that were all in the in the crowd that night and I was you know you're trying to find everybody in there and celebrate with them and stuff and it was there weren't many of us up there I think um, you know a lot of the town had given up on us at that stage and didn't think we were going to make it but for the few that were there there was um is tambourinos still there it's yeah. still it still adorns the back of our shirts tell you the tambourinos guy was there that night as well I remember seeing him dancing <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> oh, yes, amazing. I was so lucky to be, so lucky to be. I think it was officially 1,097 of us, and I was one of those lucky ones, and I'll, I'll never, ever, ever forget those, those feelings. Incredible. Nah, good. Good times, man. Good times. We, we always like to finish the Glover's Past episodes by offering our guests a chance to say a few words to the Yeovil Town fans are listening in. Is there anything you'd like to say to the supporters who after all this time still hold you in such high regard? Well, I, really for me, it was just uh, everybody kind of embraced us that year. You know, it's, I, I loved the town. It was my kind of place, you know, growing up where I did, it, it felt driving into Yeovil where you come off the motorway and, you know, it's like open fields on the way in. I, I felt like, you know, it was a little part of home for me. Um, so I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to play um, at Yeovil. And, and, you know, thank you everybody for embracing us the way that you did it. It was a hell of a ride and I'm, I was glad to be part of it. And thankful for everybody that came along and supported us because it was, uh, there were some good times, you know. There really yeah, was. There, there really, yeah. really was. I'll <laughs> never forget it. I really won't. Yeah, incredible. Listen, Lee, that pretty much wraps us up. We wanted to delve into that Nottingham Forest game and you've really peeled back the curtain for us a little bit. We're so grateful for you taking your time out ahead of your training session with the Bantams later on. So thank you so, so much for your time on this evening, mate. I really appreciate it. Nah, I really enjoyed it. Cheers, fellas. It's uh, It's been a good time, this one. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you. And with a quick turn, skipper Alex Dock slams it in. There's Lindergaard making Forrest backpedal. Davis looking to help it into the path of Morris. He's found him via the deflection. It's Aaron Davis. He could win it. He probably has won it for Yeovil. Oh, and it's an opening goal. What a start. Madden, after just six minutes, gives Yeovil the lead. Stansfield, good turn away from Trott, goal! deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 